Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Good morning. Blessed be the name. Amen. Hey, what a beautiful picture of God's creative order. Amen. Anybody seen the the buttercups? Aren't they gorgeous? Wow. We've got tons of them at the bottom of our property, but you know, I think I shared this last year, but uh, you'll see a lot of times you'll see those and you'll be like, wow, it's just this little field right there. And it looks like it's going, you know, two lines of them going up and things. Back years ago, you know, you can tell now where a lot of old home places are because they would plant them up sidewalks and things or places where they'd, and you can still see a lot of those things. So it's really kind of neat to point back to historically a lot of things that we do not know were there. Uh, It's uh, ironic how quickly the houses, even from the 80s now, are going into disrepair, and it won't be a few more years, and those things will, you know, you think about like the Applebee's in Shelbyville. That won't be, the, you know, the kids born five years ago, one day you'll say, yeah, the old Applebee's, remember? And they're going to look at you like, what? Or Ruby Tuesdays, was it? Which one? Ruby Tuesdays, sorry, see? That's, uh, you're going to see me even get more out there uh, the older I get. But it's amazing how these things come and go. Most people in Shelbyville that are under, I'd say, about 15 years don't remember when the old Walmart was on Madison Street. Most people don't remember that. You say the old Walmart, they look at you like, what are you talking about? Things change. But there's one thing that doesn't change. That's the Lord. People come, people go. But the word of the Lord stands forever, stands the same. Uh, turn your Bibles, if you have it, this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 5. And while you're turning there, I want to welcome you. Uh, not only the people in the building, but those online. It's such a blessing to have you today. I'm thankful that God is in the business of changing, of transforming, of moving, of working. Whether you had a good week this week or maybe you've had a very difficult week, I don't think there's a, a year that goes by that we don't have someone who's faced very difficult news. And, you know, without the power of the strength and the love of the Lord, I don't know how any of us would ever uh, make it through anything for that matter. But I'm very thankful for the hope that we have in Christ, the hope that will stand the test of time. And I know there's a lot of people sick today, by the way. Uh, Please pay attention to who's not in the pew next to you today. Reach out to them to uh, let them know. First of all, check on them. Hey, you okay? Uh, I want you to know you were missed this morning. And what they share with you that they're sick, you know, lift them up in prayer. And if you come back tonight during our prayer time, let's lift them up. I know Wednesday night I shared a prayer request from a friend of mine at work whose husband's going to have a serious uh, back surgery done. But people will let you pray for them if you ask them. You just have to ask them. And in order to care about that, you have to care for somebody. You have to love them. You know, so I know there's a lot of people that are suffering hurt. I know there was some um, loss this week. I know one of our church members had someone in a family that passed away this week. And I had somebody from work that passed a week, 28 years old, young. So please lift up in prayer the families of those who have gone on into eternity this week. Because I know there's nothing that's easy about any of that. And I know that prayer is a powerful and very effective tool as a follower of Jesus Christ. 
but please don't forget those ones next to you. It's really easy because things get going so fast. Remember what I said? You better start your Christmas shopping. I said that last year. You, you laughed at me, didn't I? Uh-huh, I said it. And then what happened in November, December? You're like, oh, remember I said you guys were thinking everybody laughed at me earlier in the year. It'll be here before we know it. Life is but a vapor. It is here today and gone tomorrow, and there's no do-overs. We don't get a second chance. So live this life with the passion, the fervor, the intensity that you can ever imagine because God is faithful, God is good, and God can do what Scripture says, uh, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. I know there'll be that day that we're all going to face some inevitable tragedy in our lives. Uh, As one of my senior saints told me, one day you wake up and you outlived everybody in your family and your friends. And that day may happen to you. So I would encourage you to fall in love with Jesus because he will stand the test of time. And after everyone else has left you, he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Uh, This morning, the title of the message is Not Speech, But Power. And I, I share this a lot. I think it's very important. But this morning's message is really the central focus of it. We know what our call as a disciple is, to go and make disciples. Sheep reproduce sheep, not shepherds. So your call as a disciples are to share Christ. It is to be a witness, a testimony. And one of the things that I hope you glean from what I have perpetually shared with you, I've known more people than I can even begin to count in my lifetime who have felt like there is some way if they continue to pound on it hard enough to... Moms are especially bad about this, right? Uh, I want my child to come to Christ, and I mean, it's everything I'm going to do from shaming and guilting to everything else to try to get him right, her right. And I've seen that a lot. And a lot of times that comes through personalities that are really big on control. They like control, and they want, you know, I, I understand their motives, and I appreciate them. We want our kids to do well, amen? And when they're not doing well, we want to will them to do well. Well, I want you to understand something. The call of a disciple is not to believe that we are God or can in any way be the power of God. But we serve a powerful God. And I think one of the things that we have to do, especially if we are people that are, tend to have controlling type personalities or ones that want to force people to do the right thing, we have to remember that not only is God powerful, but there is a, the greatest level and demonstration of our faith when we allow the power of God to be manifest in situations. How is that done? I'll tell you one of the ways it's done. It's done on Sundays right down here during invitations when these people down here who are praying for prodigal children, prodigal friends, parents, whatever the relationship is, what they're doing is saying, God, I realize I can't say another thing. You have to be the one to move in their heart. I can only do, God, what you want me to do. But, God, I know that your desire is that no one perish. And I know that your desire is that everybody come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I need you to move mountains. And that's what the picture of this down here is. There comes a point in our lives when we have to let God do what only God can do. And that is to change hearts. There is no amount of words or willing that we can have that will will someone or strong arm them into a decision that only they can make when their hearts recognize the decision that needs to be made. 
If we try to guilt someone or say stories that involve the person that, uh, that was left the church that night and didn't accept Christ and died in the car accident and try to compel someone to make a decision based on all these stories that we share, the question becomes this. If someone does pray that prayer, were they genuinely desiring to know Christ? Or did they want fire insurance? What is a working, a real transforming work of God? What is a real relationship with Jesus Christ built on? It's built on someone realizing that they don't have the inner fulfillment and peace. They feel a million miles from fulfillment. They realize that they're a sinner in need of a savior and that the God of creation created them and sin separated from them and they want nothing more than to be restored in fellowship to God. Do you realize that that is what a real act of salvation consists of? It can't be based on someone being scared into praying a prayer so that this fear that they have won't come true. It's got to be because someone desires to walk with the God that created them. And this morning, though, as we're going to see this, not by speech but power, we're going to see a biblical demonstration of someone that was in all ways weak. What they were, they were wanting God's power to be manifest, and that can happen in our lives. When we have the proper motivation, when someone you realize doesn't know Jesus, what is your what is your your MO? What is, the mo, what is your modus operandi? How is the way that you go about sharing that testimony? The best way to do it is to share what God's done in your life. What has God done in your life? Because what more than anything else appeals to somebody else who is in a terrible situation? Someone else who has been there. Somebody else who has experienced the brokenness and can share with them that feeling that they're feeling right now. Maybe they can't even put it into words. I knew what it was like to be lost. You are in a sea of people and feel like you are the only person there, like you are completely alone. No matter what you try, it might give you a temporal fulfillment, but that longing, that brokenness, that feeling of hopelessness soon returns. As a matter of fact, a lot of times it's multiplied. But again, the, the, this, this morning's message titled, Not by Speech, But Power, and we've got to realize that it's not our eloquent speech that leads someone to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just because I have a gift that you might think that somebody has come to Christ. No, it is not by our speech. It is the power of God that works in us, dwells in us. And by the way, at that point, we're just carrying out God's will, which is to remain weak in our strength so that God's power may be manifest, demonstrated. I hope you found... 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And if you're able physically this morning, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith 
might not be based on man's wisdom, but on the power of God. Father, thank you, Lord, this morning for the privilege we have to be here, this beautiful Lord's Day, this day we have to fellowship, this day we have to corporately come together to offer a sacrifice of worship to you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you have blessed us. You have been so good, Lord. You've poured out on us what we do not deserve, and we are well aware of that. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that most of all, that in all things you would be lifted up this morning. God, I pray as your word has been read, we know it will not return void. And as it says, we'll accomplish what it was sent to accomplish. Lord, have your way in this midst. I pray if there's one here in this building or watching online that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that you would help them understand their need for a Savior, their brokenness and the separation that sin caused. But what Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and the work of the cross has done, which was to restore us in fellowship with you. God, I pray that that would happen all over the globe today. And Lord, that you alone would be the sole focus of everything said and done. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. By the way, those are five powerful verses. Amen. If you paid attention or you meditate and dwell on these verses as I have for a number of days, these verses speak volumes to what I just shared with you uh, a minute ago. But listen to verse 1 and 2 again. When I came to you, brothers, and announced the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. First thing that I want to share with you this morning is this. We need no special gift to be a witness for the gospel truth. You don't have to have some gift. You don't have to have eloquent words. You don't have to be a good speaker. You don't have to be anything other than obedient. That's all you have to be. Because many times we come believing that, that we need some special thing. I've heard people say to me before, well, Brother Jonathan, you know how to talk to people. And, it, it, you know, I don't, I don't know how to do that. God just needs someone willing. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. If you and your heart of hearts desire to see people come to faith in Christ Jesus, I assure you, if your prayer begins to, to look something like this, Father, you know my heart's desire is to see those around me and the ones that I know come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. God, not only lead me to those people, but put the words in my mouth because you know, God, I am ill-equipped to do anything other than what I am good at, what you've blessed me at, and this, Lord, is not something that I'm good at, but I know you will strengthen me, give me the words to speak, Lord, all for your kingdom to be advanced and, glor and you glorified. What that is, is saying, God, I don't have what I need, but I know that you'll give me what I need. There's no pride in that. There's no preconceived notion for self-exaltation. There's nothing. That is an, a prayer right there for somebody that wants to glorify and honor the Lord. And looking at these, these two verses right there, for I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything but Christ and him crucified. How many times do you think, yeah, man, I'll go in there and tell them uh, how much, you know, how I used to be an assassin and how I was so tough and I was, I was this macho guy that everybody, the world doesn't need to see that. They're not going to care about how macho you were. They're not going to care when you go in there and try to present yourself as in a very positive light in the old life that you were, but then try to sell them Jesus. 
you know what you need to do? We should be ashamed of who we were before we came to Christ. Amen? That should not be something that we revel in or, or we glorify or we exalt. What you should really do is point to, hey, you know what? I was a wretched figure, but by the grace and mercy of Christ, he redeemed me. He established me in something that stands the test of time. God has restored me, and I'm so thankful that I'm now not defined by what the malls and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. I have come to know a fellowship with the God of creation, and I consider that the greatest joy of my life. Who's being glorified in that? God. But there's this, again, this thought process we have sometimes where we underestimate our usability to the kingdom because we don't have what we think someone needs. And they don't need that. They need exactly right here. No special gifts. You don't have to have any special gifts to be a witness for the gospel of truth. What is the gospel? The good news. The good news. What is the good news? That Jesus Christ died, paid a price for us that we could never pay, rose again on the third day, and right now is seated at the right hand of God the Father, desiring all men to come to saving faith in Christ. That is the biggest question today. Do you even have a passion? And that even goes to a bigger question, but do you even have a desire to have someone experience what God has done in your heart and in your life in saving you? I know that's why I've had such a passion when somebody and God opens the opportunities to share Christ because it's important. It's the most important decision we will ever make. Being married in this life, people are like, you know, being married is super important. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. Because, you know, imagine being miserable for 50 years. But 50 years is nothing in comparison to eternity. Can you imagine marrying the optimal person and enjoying wedded bliss for 50 years, but then walking off into a godless eternity, separated because you didn't want salvation, you didn't need God, you're doing things on your own. There's no need for a savior. There's no need for God because I don't even believe he exists. Biggest chance you'll ever roll the dice in. As I've said time and time again, all right, let's just hypothetically think, okay, let's just say there's a possibility. Now, nah, let's 50-50 right down the middle. All right, so whatever happened to me on September 20th, 2004, let's just say it was a figment of my imagination. Well, it changed my life. By the way, psychologically something happened because... I have had peace, I've had fulfillment that I had never had for 29 years before that. God changed me. God led me to live the life that I do now and I've got this great group of people that hadn't done what the world did over and over again, leave me high and dry. I'm not here and don't have copious amounts of money and all these things at the world in that forum, you know, when you go out and party with the world and you have money and things, wow, they love you to death, don't they? What happens when it's gone? What happens when the money dries up? What happens when the ability for you to give something to someone who can't give anything in return? What happens when all of a sudden you're the person who has nothing to give? You want to have, I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. You're going to be high and dry. All of those people are going to scatter like cockroaches do when you turn the lights on in a room. They're not going to want, they can't get anything from you anymore. You are no more usable to them. See, in the Christian faith, we love each other because Christ first loved us. We have a love that transcends the human boundaries, which is the limitations of human love, always has a set of spoken or unspoken rules to it. 
as followers of Jesus Christ, we love based on the fact that God's called us to. He's commanded us to, to love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and then love your neighbors as yourself. So that's a scriptural blessing. But by the way, the love that we're able to do that with is a love that God has given us that ability to do in the first place. See, that is the driving factor. And then you think, okay, so you've got this, made this profession. I've, I've lived this moral life for, let's say, 60 years, whatever you end up living. Or let's just say, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice. I, don't, I think that Christianity stuff is holding me back from being the best me. So you live your 50, 60, whatever years you end up living, maybe 80. Maybe you got really blessed and lived 90 years. And at that 90-year mark, you breathe your last breath. I got a question for you. What if you're wrong? That's what I say. I've not lost anything. I've not lost anything by loving, honoring, glorifying. I've lost nothing. Zero. I gained a lot. In my personal opinion, a whole lot. Remember, we're just being hypothetical. If I live this moral life and there's nothing after this, I've lost nothing. But that person that rolled the dice in the other direction, they lost everything. If I'm right, they've lost everything. And I would say again in the words of Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This morning, to give the earthly life and this life, the brokenness and the hurt, to live a life in Christ and of Christ. You're no fool to do that because what you gain is something that you cannot lose. And that is the eternal security as a follower of Jesus Christ to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. Amen? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I hope you're excited about that and I hope that you long for that and look forward to that. So again, we don't need a special gift to be a witness for the gospel of truth. And then verse three again, I came to you, I love this, in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Again, okay, I came to you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. I'll tell you where I believe the root of that is, the weakness, the fear, the fear that that person is not going to end up coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The fear of God, I need to be on target, Lord, in my weakness to allow your power to be made perfect, God. I don't want to mess up what you want to do. I don't want to be inadvertently a tool for the enemy that pushes them in the other direction. God, don't let me mess up my testimony, Father. And this person who, let's just say you're out in your front yard, you know, sitting there hanging out one day, and you do something foolish, and the person across the road or down the street that you've been witnessing to sees you make a catastrophic disaster with your testimony, you know how easy that is to undo? It's almost impossible. That's why with that fear and trembling, God... Keep me faithful, God. Keep me desperate for you, lest the enemy take in my weakness at some time or another, in my foolishness, destroy what you're doing. God, keep me ever desperate for you. Is that a prayer for you? I want to ask you that. You answer that to yourself. Is your God, keep me desperate for you. Lord, keep me close to you. Father, don't let my desires take control because, Lord, I know the damage that can occur should that happen. Father, keep me ever faithfully connected with you in prayer and in the word, because I know Scripture talks about the deceitfulness of wealth, right? 
steals away the good seed that was planted. Huh? The cares of this world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, a lot of these things that promise fulfillment on any level, nothing more than mirage. They're lies. Lies designed to do what? Steal. Steal. Steal away your testimony. Steal away the security of the family that God's blessed you because of foolish choices that end up running the family away from you. Ruining friendships because of selfish ambition or foolish choices. All of these things are targets. We're targets every single day. And listen to verse 2. Ready? So in this weakness, this is the second thing I want to share with you. Weakness magnifies God's ability to use us in mighty ways. Weakness magnifies God's ability to use us in mighty ways. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 12? What did, what did, God, what did he say to Paul? When Paul's pled with God three times, take away this thorn, this physical affliction, he says what? My power is made perfect in weakness. That's why I boast in infirmities, persecutions, weaknesses, for when I am weak, he is strong. Wow, is that not culturally completely at odds with everything that we are taught and conditioned psychologically in our culture today? Is that not? What does the culture say? It's all about us, man. Us strength, it's us strength, it's the best you, it's this, that, and the other. It's all this narrative that talks about us and the empowerment of us. That's contradictory to Scripture, isn't it? Because that's pretty profound right there. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. That shows a complete yielding to the work and the power of God in the desire that they not mess up the ability to be a testimony to, these, to the mission field this mission field that they're in the midst of right now. Not in brilliance of speech, we see in that first part. Not in wisdom. Christ crucified. That's it. That's what I want people to see, the glory of Christ in everything in this testimony. What a humble servant right here. Powerful picture of that. Weakness and fear and much trembling. Are you weak or are you strong this morning? Are you spiritually how are you, how would you qualify or characterize yourself today spiritually? Would you characterize yourself as desiring to armor up in the word, but what, humble and weak, recognizing in my power, God, I am nothing. God, I have no ability without you. You are strong, Lord, but I am weak. Father, armor me in the spirit. God, keep me humble, keep me willing Keep me continually desperate for intimate encounter and a continual life of abiding you. The mindset is one that it's a continual process of every single day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day. Is that talking about tomorrow? Is that talking about the day after? No, I think that's every single day. We have to literally, in overt act of our mind, every single day to wake up and go, God, I'm yours today. 
I want you to have my thoughts. I want you to have my finances. I want you to have my family. God, I give you everything all over again today. Lord, keep me, hold me fast to you. And tomorrow morning, wake up and do the same thing. What are you doing? Is that a, 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 a law in futility? No, it's not. It's not a demonstration of futility. What it is, is somebody who realizes how desperately weak they are apart from his strength. And it's that process every day. God, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. Hey, what happens when you wake up halfway through the day in a mental fog and go, man, what am I doing? I've been completely spiritually out of it. I've not even given God glory. God, take control of my thoughts. What happens when you find yourself locked in temptation, right? Do what the scripture says, flee it. Get on your spiritual knees. Maybe you can't do it at that moment. You're in a meeting and you're sitting there going, my mind is an absolute disaster right now. God, forgive me of the sin of my thought life right now. God, take my thoughts captive to your will, Father. I can't be the husband. Ladies, I can't be the wife. I can't be the child. I can't be the student. I can't be the boss, business owner, whatever your place. that God, I can't be the stay-at-home mother that you have divinely created me to be, Lord, until I am desperate for you. Father, I give you once again my everything. Lord, take me, make me your own. What if you have to do that five times a day? Is there something wrong with that? Absolutely not. You know what that shows me? Personally, if I were you, it shows your complete desire to be unyieldingly a, a child, a servant of the king, completely aware of your, your battles, your flaws, and your brokenness, and desiring to walk in the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, pray protective prayers. God, guard my land, guard my family. Lord, purge anything that would not honor or glorify you, Lord. God, bring something to mind, confess it, recommit it, and move on. Every single day, choose this day whom you will serve. See, weakness magnifies God's ability to use us because who does God use in Scripture over and over again? Prideful? Never. What was he? The humble and those who recognized their weakness because they realized God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And then... Listen to verse 4 and 5 again. My speech and my proclamations were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit. Ooh, that's powerful. So that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. If you have a highlighter and you get a chance this week, highlight that. but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit so that your faith may not be based on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Third and final thing I want to share with you this morning is this. The power of God is the only power we need. Don't get caught into the world's perception of what power, what strength is and the I can do it all it doesn't matter I don't care what no no roadblocks gonna stop me no God you let every roadblock you want stopping me I'll walk through every door you walk in God let me be does that mean that you have to be a physically weak person absolutely not I'm talking about the spiritual weakness of recognizing that every bit of strength you have physical spiritual and emotional 
doesn't come from your power, but from the power of God if you're a follower of Christ. Profound, as this alludes right here beautifully to this battle, not to have faith based on man's wisdom, because in these verses right there, this is not the persuasive words of wisdom, what I talked about earlier. You know what, man, I know exactly how to tell, I know exactly how to get them to pray. Man, I've got these stories that'll just have them all in tears in about five minutes wanting to make professions of faith. Are they making professions of faith because of your persuasive words and your stories that are toying with emotion? Or is it based on the fact that God has used your testimony to bring them to the place that they recognize they're a sinner in need of a savior and are not wanting a bait and switch, you're selling them some kind of dog and pony show or some kind of fear-based thing of, well, I better get my fire insurance card because once I do that, then I can go about living again. It's not about that. It's about the power of God and how does the greatest way for someone to recognize their need for a savior? It's not by powerful and persuasive words. It's by a powerful demonstration by the Spirit of God. What does the Spirit of God do? Opens their heart. No one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit enables them or draws them, as Scripture says. What does that mean? That means the Spirit of God, the power of God, allows them to see their need for a Savior. That's where you see a genuine work of the Spirit occur. That is where you see the power of God. That's where you see a genuine transforming work of God versus fire insurance. Pray this prayer. Three weeks later, three months later, you don't even see him again. Why? Because they were not transformed by the renewing of their mind. It was the work of man in essence. And you see those four soils Three of those were, the, in essence, the work of man. Only one. How many produced a crop? One. Seedfulness of wealth. Cares the world. The trample. We see all those in those, those, uh, that parable. I'll tell you, I'm not the norm, but the exception when it comes to that. I remember a number of years ago, they gave lollipops to kids at a vacation Bible school for coming up and getting saved. I'll never forget it. And it just made me want to vomit. Salvation's not about coming up and getting a lollipop. Salvation's about the work of the Spirit and someone realizing when you cheapen salvation, do you realize what you, the danger is? And I, I say this to all of us. We got to realize how precious this gift of salvation. This is not a joke. This isn't some game. This isn't something we toy around with emotions with. This is something that can eternally warp someone. If you and I get up there and we start talking about, hey man, you can just pray this prayer and you can get saved. You won't have to go to hell one day. There is so much to Christianity apart from just not going to hell. It is being restored in fellowship to the God that designed you, that created you, that has a purpose and a plan for you that can fulfill you like nothing or no one else. God will give us the ability when we fellowship and, and, and dwell with him to live a life that is incomprehensible, to have a level of fulfillment that is unimaginable. 
God's desire for us is just not to deliver us from hell. His desire is to walk with us. Look back in the Garden of Eden. Why did God create man? Church, God's relational. God wants to walk with us. God wants to hear from us. You ever thought about this? When we think about prayer, maybe you've never thought about this. You're going, okay, I'm going to tell God what's going on. You think you're telling God something? Do you really? God already knows it all. But he's relational. And he desires to hear from us. Isn't that awesome? Is that song from the 90s, uh, no, from the early 2000s, late 2000s, 2008, 9-ish. Who are you, O God, that you are mindful of me? That's profound, meaning the infinites of you, God, that shows so much about the character of God that you care about us. Wow, what a love. Reminds me of West King's um, Love of Christ song. Incomparable Kindness, The Lesson of the Week. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. If you ever have a chance, just can get on YouTube and put in there, West King, Love of Christ. You know, how high, how wide, how deep is the love of Christ? Incomparable. It's incomparable. Un unable to be comprehended. That's what he sings in that song. Do you know the love of Christ? Do you know the power of Christ? Do you desire those around you to experience what you're experiencing. Maybe you're here today and you said, Brother Jonathan, you've hit this from a dimension that I don't even know that level, uh, much less right now going and sharing it because I myself am just now beginning to be blown away by the love of God. I would encourage you to get in God's word like you've never gotten in before. Get in fellowship and discipleship and grow like never before. And then that desire right now, you have to know that and help impart that to others. Do you have a desire to do that? Do you have a desire to attend church or do you have a desire to be the church? You ever thought of that? Do you desire to attend church or you desire to be the church? I got a question for you. Are genuine disciples church attendants? Are they the church? Genuine church attenders are the church. They're the body of Christ. This building doesn't determine what we are, does it? This determines, it's just a place where we meet together and we huddle like a football team does before a game. And we do our huddles on Sunday, and what do we do? We go out the rest of the week and we make plays. God has given us this blessing, the, the church body, to encourage one another, challenge one another, to grow together, develop these relationships and all the things that God has blessed us with, with the body of believers. But again, I can't. And that person that loves you or has discipled you or wants to, they can't put the desire this morning to will you to obedience. What does obedience mean? Submission to, listen, it, that means living out God's will for your life. And by the way, once again, it does not hinder anything about who you are. It will only magnify everything that God created you to be. The only thing that will hinder anything in your life is to buy the lie that there is fulfillment found outside of the context of the designer, the architect's design for you or my life. He withholds no good thing 
from them that love him. You realize that? Well, wait a minute, Brother Jonathan. I prayed about this, and I begged God to give me this. I begged God I wanted this more than anything in my lifetime. And it's not a, it, it wasn't anything bad, and God didn't answer it. And I, don't, I just don't believe that then because this is what I've always wanted. He just said one good word. I. My question is, is it because you wanted it and God didn't give it to you, you question the love of God? Or is it the fact that right now God's desiring to grow you and bring you, and by the way, God knows the quote-unquote good things that we think will further us that God knows are the very things sometimes that will destroy us. And yet God's no is maybe not even a no, but a not yet. Maybe God's got to prepare you for that. I've known people that have come into ministry since I've been a pastor. I never asked to be in ministry. God called me. He dragged me into it, kicking and screaming. And I've had people that have come to me and said, I've wanted nothing more than be in ministry my entire life. And I tell them right off the bat, when I hear that, it scares me. Because I ask you this today, is this your desire or is this God's will for your life? Because actually I question the sanity of anybody who says, yep, I want to grow up and I want to be, but listen, it's tough. If you want God's will in ministry, a lot of times God comes just like Paul on the road to Damascus, pow, tap, drag, and he drags you to ministry. But my question this morning is for you, what is your desire and will? Is your life this? God, may your will be done. Is God the Lord of your life? Is God the Lord of your home? Is God the Lord of your relationships? And the big one, is God the Lord of your finances? A lot of times people say, oh yeah, I'm all in, you get the finance thing. It's like, well, we don't talk about that one. If you're all in, you're all in. And when you're all in, that means that you recognize that everything you have is from him. Everything. God just can't be the Lord of nine out of ten things. If he's not Lord of everything, he ain't lording over you right now. What does that mean when he lords over you? A Lord lords over. What is that? It's like slavery. Doulos is the Greek word, and it means slave. Are you a slave to Christ this morning? By the way, what did slaves have a right to? Nothing. Do you realize as a believer, we have a right to nothing? Is this very gift of salvation which brought us into slavery is a gift that the slave master gives us. But the awesome part about that is, as a slave to Christ, what is the promise of God? God's promise is what? I will meet all of your needs according to my glorious riches in Christ. So God's promise is that every single need that you, listen, need, Watch this little documentary on, um, I think it was Ghana this morning, if I remember correctly. Might not have been, but it's where all of our used computers end up. You ought to see. They're called burners. They burn the parts to get the precious metals out of it. You ought to see the abject poverty these people live in. It, I can't even explain it. There's not even, there's just no way to, I mean, one night I'll play it or one day I'll play it for you just to get a grasp of it. You can't even imagine. We are so blessed, and the problem is our perspective on needs is really off. 
extremely off. We believe that two cars, 10 TVs in the house, and a you know 3,000 square foot house that we have two guest bedrooms and a workout room and a craft rooms and blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that's a need. Come on now, get really down to the heart. We're so blessed beyond measure and understanding. It's very hard for us to, to really understand what needs are because we've all grown up like we've grown up. My question today to you is, if that need hasn't been met, wait a minute, a true need that has not been met there isn't a need that hasn't been met in our life, and if it's not been met yet and it truly is a need, it's going to be met. You've just got to continue to, Lord, you know this need that needs to be met. I'm being faithful. There's nothing that would hinder your ability to do that. God, I trust fully on the finished work of salvation through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells within me. You will do what you promised to do because, God, you don't lie. It is in faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But again, I know that Jesus died for me. And I know September 20th of 2004, when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, again, I know right now that that was as genuine as genuine. I would question that you were sitting in front of me and I would question my sanity that you're here in front of me before I would, knowing that Jesus died on the cross for me, that he desires me to dwell in his presence one day as he does you. And again, as we close, are you living not by speech, but the power, power of God, is the power of God the only power that you need? Are you living in obedience as a doulos, as a slave to Christ? Has God got preeminence in your life? Listen, I, I can't, can't force anybody to do anything. I say this because I want you to know Christ, the power of a resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. I want you to understand that the promises of Scripture, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. One day, we are going to die. All of us are. There's nobody in here gets out alive. My question to you is, where in relation in eternity is your one of two places, in the presence of the Lord or separated from him? And remember this, everybody we know right now has an eternal destination do you have a desire to share that with the people that God puts in your, your place every week, every day for that matter? Do you have a passion to share with them the hope of Christ? If you would say, I don't really, it doesn't really cross my mind, do you really believe that there's a hell and a heaven and that people are going to one of those two places? Because why wouldn't you want to share that if you really know that's true? How much could you hate someone not to tell them? Because it's a real, and listen, like I said, I lost a 20-year-old, 28-year-old patient this week. Death is no respecter of persons or time. Don't assume that you have any time if you have somebody on your mind right now that you go, I don't think they know Jesus. They don't know about Jesus. What are you going to do to change that? And looking at the context this morning, are you going to do it? Not by speech, by power? I hope so. Because the power of God, as we see this last one, is the only power we need. Are you desiring today to live and walk in the footprints and the footsteps of the God of all time, space, and eternity? What did I say about, what, what does that mean? I finished with this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And there's the footprints. He will direct your paths. So think about this. If God's directing your paths, the footsteps that you are walking in are the steps that he's ordained because you have yielded yourself to the master's, the potter's wheel, the master's hands. Are you walking in the footsteps that the master has preordained because of your Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trusting not in yourself, leaning not on your own understanding, acknowledging him in all your ways, God is directing your paths, making your paths straight. Are those the footsteps you're walking in today? Or are you walking in footsteps of self, self-advancement? Where, oh, all I care about right now is my retirement. I'll deal with that later on. You're just assuming that you have that time. I want you to tell you this morning, God needs believers walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, yielded to his hand, his desire, so that we can be reflections of God's glory to the people that he puts in our, our life on any given day. You never know the person you're standing next to. This may be the only opportunity that they have left to get to know Jesus. Are you sharing your story? Not by power, not by speech. The power of self is pointless, hopeless. Not by all that speech of our own. It's the speech that God, words God puts in our mouth and the power of God that helps them understand their need for a Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning, Lord, for your word. God, thank you for the challenge of it, the encouragement and the reminders that it perpetually gives us, God, to know that we are not wise in ourselves. We have no wisdom apart from you. Father, thank you for allowing us to understand through your word that a weakness spiritually is the greatest place that we can ever be so that your power can rest on us, Lord. Use us mightily for the kingdom. God, I pray that not only the ones in this building, but online that have listened to the truth, pray if there's anyone that is, does not know you as Lord and Savior. They don't know what would happen this morning if they walked off into eternity. But God, you've helped them understand that they are separated from you, that they right now are as far away from you as it could imagine possible. But God, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're helping them understand that you have paved the way to restore fellowship with you, our Father. Lord, I pray that not one person who knows that today will let this day close without first confessing their sin, placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, asking you to be their Savior and the Lord of their life. Father, thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus, Lord, and all the hopes, the plans, and purposes you have for our life. Lord, let us be found faithful most of all. God, I pray during this invitation time that it would all be unto you for your glory, power, your dominion, and your honor. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.